What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So I am seeing a defense emerging for Donald Trump and the Trump crime family. And it will go something like this. When it becomes clear that Trump tried to overturn the election and, and incited an insurrection and all this other kind of stuff, when, and this is becoming more and more visible and more and more obvious that he did this and that it, you know, all that, he's going to say, I actually believed that the election was stolen from me. And the guy who convinced me of that was Rudy Giuliani. So he's the guy you should throw in jail. And frankly, I think he's been setting this thing up for a while now because Giuliani has been the front man for all these things. Giuliani, it turns out, we learned last night, was the guy who was organizing the fake electors in the swing states, um, which is a crime. And, uh, and, and, and Giuliani was being informed in part by, you know, some folks from other countries, specifically in this case, Russia, but uh, other countries as well. So, you know, Trump is just going to say, I just believed my lawyer. I just believed my advisor. I believed the people around me. And you can't pin this on me. And the proof of it is that at the very, you know, every single moment, every, every terrible thing that you say I did that it was illegal, I was doing in public. I was telling everybody about it, and I was telling them why I was doing it, because I thought the election was stolen. So the question in my mind is, because I don't, I don't believe in any universe that Donald Trump actually thought the election was stolen. I, I presume there's a remote possibility. But the question is, when pathological liars, obviously Donald Trump is one, and he's been lying his whole entire life, you know, 30,000 plus lies during his years in the White House. When pathological liars lie, and they do so incredibly convincingly, and, and their behavior is consistent with their lies, is that because they're brilliant actors who have learned how to play the role of an innocent person believing something that is wrong and use that to justify their lies? Or is it because part of their pathology is convincing themselves that their lies are true so that then they can be convincing liars? And I don't know the answer to that question. And so I thought, let's get Dr. Justin Frank on, the psychoanalyst and clinical professor at the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at George Washington University, the author of Trump on the Couch, among other books, so Obama on the Couch, Bush on the Couch, uh, Justin Frank, MD, over on Twitter. Let's get him on and ask him. And uh, Dr. Frank is on the line with us. So, Dr. Frank, you heard the setup. 
what do you think? How do you think this defense is going to play out? And 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 which and how is it that Trump can lie so convincingly? I think everybody has lied as a child, mm -hmm. and we've all been lied to as children. So the problem, the issue is, what happens if somebody completely believes your lie and you keep doing it? Donald Trump started lying at a very early age. And part of the lie was mocking his parents because he knew that they didn't love him. So he switched as a liar into saying, I love you. I am good. I am this way. And so he was actually turning us into the child him who's trying to believe other people. So what he's done is he's always been a liar. Now, in his book, The Art of the Deal, in 1987, he actually said what he's going to do in terms of your idea with Rudy Giuliani. He said in 1987 the story, and I think that story was made up. He told a story about an artist who came to his house and sat for lunch. And he said to uh, Trump, if we can wait for 20 minutes before we go to lunch, I'll show you how I can make $25,000. Trump said, sure. So the guy took out a canvas, scribbled a bunch of paint on it, and was done in about 15, 20 minutes. He says, okay, I'm going to bring this to my dealer, and they'll sell it for 25000 right now. And that's because he was relying on his name and his fame, and he figured anything he did would get $25,000. Trump wrote that in his book. And the art of the deal was born with that story. Hmm. And that's what Trump has always done. And he announces it beforehand. Not only that, the cleverness of the story was he didn't say it was his idea. He said it was the, somebody else's idea, the artist, mm -hmm. the guy who told him how to do it. And that makes me think that he's going to do something similar like what you're saying with Rudy Giuliani. He's going to blame the other person for implementing the lie and get, getting away with it. And he's got plenty of evidence for that because actually he was followed by all kinds of people and believed by all kinds of people as he grew and as he developed. But actually it was Rudy Giuliani who wrote those fake uh, ballot results from different states and right. sent them in. Right. That, was not that was not Donald who wrote it. But Donald Trump is a liar, and one of the consequences of liars is that they, they get other people to believe them. We're all an anxious group of people, much more so now since COVID, and he can get his lies believed. I, the question I, I, is whether a person telling a lie over and over again begins to believe it himself or whether he's an actor. And that's what you were asking, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's no way to know for sure. But I think a liar who repeats them over and over again does begin to believe them. They really do believe them. It's a form of repetition, and they begin to believe what they're saying. I actually think there's a part of me that thinks he did believe the election, that he won the election. I don't know about it being stolen, but he believed mm -hmm. there was something wrong. And... I think it's because he believed he was going to win. And Fox News told him he was going to win. Every, his friends told him he was going to win. I just think that there was a part of him that believed he was going to win, almost like the part of him that in 2016 believed he was going to lose. Remember when he thought right. he was yeah. going to lose? Yeah, and he was surprised. But that means that he can't be prosecuted. I mean, I'm seeing federal prosecutors on TV saying that, you know, mens rea, the state of mind, 
um, is the critical thing that you have to prove for fraud. And uh, you have to prove that the person who was, you know, dragging somebody into a fraud was doing so knowing that it was a fraud. If they believed it was not a fraud, then they didn't commit fraud, even though fraud got committed. I mean, that's going to be a challenge. I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer, uh, as is obvious by now. And I'm not sure about what you're saying, because I don't think that's the issue. The issue is whether he plotted to overthrow the government. And I think he did. And it's not necessarily because he was a liar. It's because he believed something to be true, and he was going against what everybody else said was a free and fair election. And he was trying, and he decided to use violence to overthrow the government. That's what he was doing. Whether he was lying to himself or lying to others, to me, is less important. Although, in the long run, Tom, the most damning legacy of Donald Trump, unless he brings down our entire democracy, which is possible still, um, is that he is lying and the power of lying. And he will have made it that the assault on truth is part of our culture now and that we don't believe anything. We've always had trouble believing things. Will Rogers said in the 30s, all I believe is what I read in the newspapers. And he was saying that tongue in cheek Mm -hmm. because he knew the newspapers weren't telling the whole truth. Uh, And, you know, and Stephen Colbert at the at the uh, at one of the Bush uh, White House dinners talked about truthiness Mm -hmm. and that Bush is a man of truthiness. I love that. And um, so. We know about lying, and so I don't remember which debate it was when somebody said, "How can you tell if so and so is lying?" He said, "Oh, his lips move." I mean, that was in a, one of the Reagan debates, I think, or um, I don't know who it was. But the point is that we've had lying in our culture forever, and uh, but Trump is the consummate liar, and he has written about it. He's written that he doesn't call it lying; what he calls it is truthful hyperbole. That's what he called it in 1987 when that book came out. And truthful hyperbole is a lie about lying because hyperbole itself is a lie. It's an exaggeration. And And it's a lie about lying. So he legitimizes what he do, does, says it's truthful, it's truthful hyperbole, and that's that. Yeah, and it's really disturbing. Well, I'm telling you, when 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 they close in on him down in in Georgia on on this, yeah. uh, you know, telling Raffsenberger, you know, just get me the eleven thousand votes. This is going to be his defense. I believed I actually won the election, and I was just asking them to make sure, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We'll see how it goes. But Dr. Justin Frank, thanks so much for weighing in with us today. I, I really appreciate it. Okay, thank you. It's always great talking with you, Dr. Justin Frank. You can follow him over on Twitter at uh, Dr. Justin Frank. D- are Justin Frank, just like it sounds. There's some great stuff that he's been putting up. Has the GOP become the last refuge for crackpots? Well, Ken Weiler, state representative in New Hampshire, was the chair of the House Finance Committee in that state uh, until he claimed that COVID-19 vaccines are a satanic plot by the Catholic Church. And they contain tentacled creatures and 5G mind control technology. He's still a state lawmaker. He's no longer chair of the House Finance Committee. But, uh, you know, moving along right behind him is Adam Sexton. Uh, he's a new, uh, excuse me, is uh, Representative Mike Sylvia. It was Adam Sexton who was reporting it on, on uh, WMUR. Mike Sylvia is a New Hampshire Republican state representative 
who has introduced a constitutional amendment to let New Hampshire secede from the union. And here's where it gets up. Keep in mind, we fought the Civil War over whether states have the right to unilaterally secede from the Union. Remember that? I mean, you know, none of us actually remember it, but we all learned about it, right? So we remember the... So he says, some believe that the question of independence has been settled. If so, then our state's sovereignty has been stolen. <laughs> yeah, in what, 1865? <laughs> been a while. You just waking up to this? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, ever heard of the Supremacy Clause? Our friend and colleague Joe Madison had been on a hunger strike 70 plus days to, to try to get voting rights passed, for the John Lewis, specifically for the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act and, and the Freedom to Vote Act. And both of them, of course, were struck down uh, day before yesterday by, by Cinema and Mansion and 50 Republicans. And so uh, Joe, Manch, uh, Joe Madison on his program uh, here on Sirius XM over on the Urban View channel uh, said, and I'm just going to paraphrase, uh, just, I'm going to quote a few, uh, but you know, selectively uh, some of the things that he said. He said, uh, this was uh, 70 plus days of my hunger strike. Was it worth the effort? The answer is yes, he said. Today, he said, an entire generation knows more about the Senate filibuster. They know more about how important their votes and or are they know they now know the major differences between Republicans and Democrats and then Joe said this thing that just blew my mind it was so this is so perfect he said in the words of Japanese Admiral Yamamoto after the attack on Pearl Harbor he wrote in his diary I fear all we have done is awaken a sleeping giant and filled him with a terrible resolve and then Joe Madison went on to say, what the Republicans in the Senate in state legislative houses have done is awaken a new generation of activists and advocates. And that generation now knows and is prepared to continue this struggle to protect our voting rights. He says, so I say to Republicans in the Senate, you are now the party that will be written in history as the party of voter suppressionists. You have now awakened a sleeping giant. You've awakened a younger and new generation of advocates and activists who are now resolved to fight this battle. And then finally, uh, my colleague Joe Madison says, now is the time to regroup, to organize door to door on the grassroots level. We don't get the votes in the Senate, but we have awakened the minds, the hearts, and the consciousness of a new generation. And, and Joe uh, Madison played a, a significant role in that. So good on you, Joe, and, and uh, if, you, if you're not familiar with Joe's program, if you're a serious XM subscriber, check it out. He's at 6 to 10 a.m. every day over on Urban View Channel, the Urban View Channel. So picking up your phone calls, Richard in uh, Los Angeles. Hey, Richard, what's on your mind today? Joe Biden should start using his influence as he issues the infrastructure money to the Republican states to get them to vote for his, his voting acts. I sit there and saw Portland today standing there as he announced the semiconductor uh, 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 company that's going to Ohio. Why didn't he use that to twist Portman's arm to get him to vote for his voting bills? I don't know the answer to the question, Richard. I mean, there's a couple of possibilities. One is that the way the bill was passed, the executive branch doesn't have that much discretion over how money is distributed. I know that Joe Manchin put a provision in the bill that said this money has a choice between going to a government entity or going to a private for-profit corporation. You always have to choose the private for-profit corporation. It's called public-private partnerships. 
He actually put an amendment to the bipartisan infrastructure bill into that law, Joe Manchin did, that requires this. Um, so, you know. So there's no influence on whether he can decide if it goes to a red state or a blue state. I don't know. That I don't know. I, I just don't know. And, and, and I don't know that even if he did, even if President Biden had that power, um, whether he would use it the way that you might expect Donald Trump to use it, for example. I think he, I, I think Joe Biden is genuinely committed to being the president for all Americans, even those who don't vote for him and hate him. But isn't this a special circumstance to maybe think outside the box, be a little tougher? I'm all, yeah, I'm with you, Richard. I would, I, I, you know, this is what <laughs> I said earlier. I, I feel like, you know, particularly Chuck Schumer, this is, you know, his first year being really fully in charge of the Senate. And I, uh, he, he needs to get a spine. He needs to, he needs to start playing, you know, some serious, serious hardball here. And well, if he, need, he needs to, he needed to a year ago. And he should have seen this coming. And, All uh, right, you know, sir. yeah, so, and, 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 yeah, thank you, Richard. All right. Yeah. Good to hear from you. And, and, and let me just, you know, I, I have a little less than a minute, so I, I don't want to just toss somebody on and cut them off. Um, so let me just add to what I was just saying that I am not a fan of the circular firing squad. I, I'm very reluctant to criticize Democrats in general. And, uh, and, and I'm not saying that Chuck Schumer's leadership should be challenged, although I think there, there may be other people who could do the job better. Um, but I do, I do hope that Senator Schumer is learning from this experience. I mean, he was basically publicly humiliated this week. And, and Manchin and Cinema are now media stars. And they should have been obscure. Now, the media played a big role in this. But the, this White House and the leadership, the Senate leadership in the Democratic Party, need to get the damn act together. And we need to add more Democrats <laughs> to the Senate so that those two senators are not as problematic. But they need to get their act together. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. 
Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. And, you know, the media is all over the fact that uh, Biden's poll rating numbers are down. This is why. People want him to take names and kick ass. Paul in Lucerne, California. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? I'm talking about the stand on your own two feet, boss. And I know Representative Mark Pokemon said it would be hard because states, sometimes, some states don't even make enough money to support themselves. So what? The stand on your own two feet law. You cannot take more money from the federal government than you give. Your state uh, gives. No, I call okay. it the end red state welfare legislation. Yes. Yeah, that's what it is, red state welfare. Right now, we have the red states holding back progress. I mean, to think about it, these guys represent 41 million fewer Americans, and they're, they're slamming us. They won't let us do gun control. No, nothing. We can't do nothing. We're paralyzed by the Oh, it's not that bad, Paul. We, are, we have gotten a lot of good stuff passed. It's just stuff that yeah, benefits everybody. Legislation's but, passed. but yeah, we they're they're percent of the American ones background checks, and we can't get it because of red state welfare yeah. senators. Yeah, we need to do something about it. Now, if we pass that law, and these states can only live within their means unless they're hit by a natural disaster, they're going to force them to vote in competent representation. Yeah, because they're not going to want to call the cops. And three and a half hours later, a cop shows up. I, I get that, Paul. Here's how it's going to play out, though. If if this legislation ever actually got proposed, you know, the end red state welfare or the stand on your own two feet law, whatever you want to call it, immediately Republicans in those states will begin attacking Democrats in television ads saying they're trying to take away your Social Security. They're trying to take away your Medicare. Because one of the largest transfers of money from the federal government to the individual states, and particularly to red states, is Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. And that would be what they would point out. Well, how do you, how do you message against that? Well, we just, we just make sure that that's not included. We're not going to touch your grants for your Medicare. Well, then they'd say, you know, oh, your governor wants to uh, have more potholes. I mean, you know, they'll, they'll take whatever that federal money, whatever good that federal money is doing. I, I, I don't have a solution well, to this, Paul, I, but we've got to figure out a way to message this. I know how the Republicans will message it. Yeah. If we can figure out a way to message this, this would work. And that's why I, I believe standing on your own two feet laws is a good-sounding law because everybody wants you to stand on your own two feet. Republicans are always saying you have to stand on your own two feet. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. That's their mantra. So we use their words against them. And they're not that smart, Tom. Yeah. They're really not. I think we can do this, and they would not realize a long Well, Paul, when you've, got, when you've got a messaging strategy figured out, give me a shout back. I'd love to know it. Daryl in Seattle. Hey, Daryl, what's on your mind today? Well, I've been thinking about this for weeks, and uh, it took me a while to formulate it. Well, about 50 years ago when I was living in Germany, there was a terrible thing coming down. 
the German people. They had brought in arbeiters from kind of a naughty word. I won't mention yeah. it even in German to do the dirt work. Yeah, guest, guest the arbeiters is what they're called. They're, they're, they're guest workers is what it literally translates to. Yeah, Tom, can, can I say it? It's in German. Oh, if it's an obscenity, probably not. It probably wouldn't be a good idea. Well, it's kind of like equivalent to our saying damn, but yeah. I won't say it. Yeah, guest, guest arbeiter, yeah. And um, when they finished the autobahns, widening them and everything, Germans were getting arrogant. They were building wonderful cars and so on. So they said, go back or oust, right? You mm -hmm. know, and uh, the the Turks didn't want to go. These were blue-collar, well, educated third, folks. fourth generation. There was a lot of anger of, uh, from the Turks. They didn't want to go back to Turkey. They had come to Germany to live because there was not a whole great future for them. This is the late 60s. I didn't know it went back that early in the 40s or 50s. But anywho, um, they labeled them as drug dealers chasing after German women, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that was verbal guest house talk, not in the mainstream press. But then they killed a little Turkish girl on the street, beat her to death, and that became a cause celeb in the press and got everybody's dander up, especially the Turks, understandably. And uh, they let them stay. I don't know what happened in the years because I left. Germany, but I read about that murder in a Seattle paper here. So I was listening to um, early on in the Moderna thing that two Turkish uh, scientists were had tweaked the Moderna uh, process up to a point where it was the uh, the Rolls Royce uh, standard, yeah, it which, is, Pfizer which it is today. Vaccine, I understand. Actually, yeah. These two Turkish immigrants, perhaps children yeah. of immigrants, the the, the, the gas arbiters uh, in Germany were the two. It's a husband and wife team, and they were the scientists who developed the uh, the final version of the mRNA technology through a, a little company that they owned, which was called N Biotech. And that company it went into a partnership with Pfizer, and that's the Pfizer vaccine. Correct, and that's. But but you, one important thing that your listeners and you might not know about this is on the BBC mm -hmm. website. That's how I got it uh, the other day. He was German born, so it took three generations to save half the world. Yeah, there you go. Three generations. Think ago. about it. Isn't it? Isn't that great? Yeah, it, it really poetic? is. It's an amazing story. Daryl, thank you. Thanks for sharing that with us. I appreciate it. Mike in Lameda, California. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, Tom. I just wanted to express my view of how insane the majority Supreme Court decision was on the OSHA requirement that people either be inoculated against a fatal communicable disease or be tested weekly. Right. And I'd like to illustrate by bringing in Mary Malloy and Franklin Roosevelt, uh, Part of the claim that the court made was that, well, there's no historical precedent for OSHA enforcing a uh, vaccine mandate. Well, I'd like to remember Mary Malloy, who was the bearer of a communicable disease, which never did her any harm, but which killed people that she worked for. And typhoid and, fever. Yes, and she was popularly known after this became uh, publicized as Typhoid Mary, mm -hmm. and she was forcibly detained, confined, to prevent her spreading typhoid to other people, mm -hmm. in spite of the lack of any uh, precedent that I'm aware of. Did that go to the Supreme uh, Court, Supreme... though, Mike? I don't believe it did, but it didn't yeah. have to, and that's my point. Yeah. 
today it would have probably been appealed up by somebody or another. Well, you but think also the case? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, the other uh, figure I was reminded of was Franklin Roosevelt, who spent all his adult life uh, in a wheelchair or on very heavy steel braces because he contracted infantile paralysis, another communicable disease, when he was young. Right, polio. Uh, which we know as polio. And I tell you, when the polio vaccine came out in the 50s, there was no hesitation on anyone's part to get inoculated, even after they had a bad batch through faulty uh, quality control that uh, went the wrong way with some recipients. We were down there getting our shots and then the Sabin sugar cube a little later Mm -hmm. uh, without anybody requiring anybody to do that. Yeah, it was in school. I was like seven, eight years old. I remember it well, Mike. And and, and I I am strongly of the opinion that if a Republican president had put that mandate into place, the six right-wingers on the Supreme Court would have, would have saluted it, would have said, just fine with us. But it was a Democratic I'm, president. That's how politicized this court my, has gotten. My, I have to agree with you on that. It's as if they're saying, uh, let's say, on the bridge of the Titanic's maiden voyage, Captain Smith had you know, run up to the bridge at midnight and said, what was all that? And they said, well, we struck a, an iceberg. And he said, well, close the uh, watertight compartments. And the first officer said, I'm sorry, Captain, but we've never done that before. We can't do that. Right. <laughs> no precedent for that. <laughs> yeah, good one, Mike. Good one. I, I, this, the, the, the whole politicization of, of the Supreme Court is just, it's such a tragedy. It's, it's uh, such a tragedy. Mike, thank you for the call. Russ in Hickory Hill, Illinois. Hey, Russ, what's on your mind today? Oh, nothing, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What I wanted to talk to you about, Tom, is um, let's be frank. You know, the minorities are picking on Biden. He's not getting nothing done. I wanted to ask, how do you people in Virginia like uh, your governor Yankin now that you can't do nothing? Let's see. No mask for your kid, but you know what I mean? But my kid can be masked. Uh, No critical race theory. You can't talk about gays you can't talk about nothing in virginia because now he's trying to undermine gay marriage yeah i mean this guy tom this is what you're going to get but then you know they were on the floor tuesday night this high five and kristen cinnamon joe manson and that sad thing about it is tom the vice president bernie sanders elizabeth warren you just declared war in arizona and i think california too tom yeah. i think you just pushed their buttons to the point where because there was a guy on Friday night, last Friday, that said she was out bragging about it, Tom. I'm here for you. I'm fighting for you. I'll stand for your right. But I ain't dropping that filibuster as long as I'm making money off of you. Yeah, this, I mean, this, I don't is, know, Tom. this is Robert Reich's take. I mean, he's he, he publishes a, a Substack newsletter, and, and I, to which I subscribe, and I got one this morning. And, and he, he, you know, he... he comes right out and says it. He says, you know, there's a lot of speculation that right-wing billionaires were paying off Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema to destroy voting rights. He said, but I don't think that's the case. He's, you know, he said, he's known a lot of politicians. I mean, this guy was the labor secretary in the Clinton administration. He, he knows politics and he knows politicians. And he said that, you know, a year ago, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema were unknown nationally. And now everybody in America knows their names. And that is all that matters to them. They have become addicted to the limelight. They have become just, you know, they're, they're, they're under the sway now of this, 
of this, uh, you know, this bright spotlight of publicity. There are some people who just absolutely crave that, and uh, they will destroy their country in order to get it. And and, and apparently that's Kirsten Cinema and 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 Joe Manchin, Russ. So. What do you think? You know, let's put facts out there. Feinstein and and Kirsten Cinema, we can get to. Joe Manchin, he's seventy-four. I got the feeling, Tom. He knows that he's run the gauntlet in the Democratic Party. I know you'll say he'll run, maybe win. But you can't tell me Feinstein. And this goes into yeah. Delaware. Yeah. Well, you know Delaware senators? I keep saying his name is Cooney. He's supposedly a big filibuster lover. Yeah, but Chris they, Coons. These two in, in Arizona and California, I just think that they have insulted the vice president because of her race, that she's going to declare war on these two when they go for uh was it a year from next? Say a year from. Well, they're both up for. Manchin and Cinema are both up for re election in, in, well, in yeah, three years. Yeah, but she's up in 24 too, I think, Feinstein. Oh, I Feinstein. I don't think Feinstein's going to run again. She's in her 80s. I mean, you know, it's. Uh, right. I, you know, she's. But she's if kinda... she does, the vice president can't stomach her because she's. I don't know. You know more than I do. She's insulted her because of, you know, like, you, you're second yeah. to me. Russ, thanks for the call. Jeff in uh, San Francisco. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? I'm sure you might have heard about the Henry Cuellar deal down in Texas, yes. District 12. Yes, the he FBI got his a bunch home. Of cash. He got caught with a bunch of cash, I guess, from a, um, Azerbaijan or something like that. Oh, was that it? Because, you know, yesterday when I did the story on the air, there was we didn't know why the FBI was raiding his home. But we do know that he's got, you know, now he's got a progressive primary challenger. Yeah, she's going after him again. I think this is the second time. Uh, I think her uh, her name's Cisneros. Yeah, Jessica Cisneros. Uh, he's just backing her up, you know. Yep. And so, I mean, we need to primary all these dinos in Congress. I mean, and I don't care how long you've been there. And, you I'm know, ready. Feinstein, you know, the other senator I have in Hunger, the speaker needs to go. But I think AOC needs to go after uh, Schumer, you know, go after his seat. Well, she's not in the Senate, <laughs> unless you mean well, she should uh, be primary. I mean, she oh, oh, well, you mean you mean run for the Senate for Schumer's seat? You got it. That's why not. I don't know. It's, you know, I, I you got to have some huevos, man. Yeah, you I, I'm with you on that, Jeff. Uh, you know, I, it's going to be real interesting to see how this shakes out and and how long Schumer, you know, wants to stay in politics and what. But I, I, I'm with you. I, I think that he's, uh, and Jeff, thank you for the call. I think that both Schumer and Biden blew it with this, uh, you know, voter rights thing. They should have been screaming about this from day one. And as soon as they saw that Manchin was going to try and ride the bill back better, they should have done You're something. listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. This is not the most competent political leadership of my lifetime. I'll just put it that way. Jessica in Chicago. Hey, Jessica, what's on your mind today? Since you've talked about Kristen Cinema, Quorum, uh, Quora on the internet says she can be expelled by Congress, and I do believe she could. She never has answered her phone at any of her offices I've called, and she's, of course, never done the town hall meeting. And yeah, does she even show up? To, it's does, not gonna, what? It's not going to happen, Jessica. Oh, I mean, okay. she's, well, she's done terribly. Committees, she, she, maybe? 
you know, I, she was wearing Republican red when she cast the vote no on the voting thing. I think this is her way of letting, and she was wearing a cross. This is a woman who ran for office uh, by saying that she was openly transsexual, excuse me, bisexual, and that she was uh, an atheist. And here she is wearing Republican red and a cross. Um, I think that she is preparing to jump to the Republican Party. Oh. Oh. They're well, just as corrupt as she is. Okay. Well, um, I wanted to say one more thing. Um, Pence will never be forthcoming in his testimony. The Heritage Foundation pays for his silence. He writes an article every month for them, but one of his big money makers, he makes 200000 a speech, and his wife does speeches, too. And I thought you would be interested in this one. The Koch brothers are huge donators to the Heritage Foundation. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I know some uh, right-wing talk show hosts, um, and uh, one of them who is uh, uh, sort of a friend of mine, actually. I haven't talked to him probably in a year or two, but um, we got to know each other fairly well years ago. And... Uh, and, and he's nationally syndicated. He was on a couple hundred stations. And I, and, I, and I said, you know, how are you doing, you know, financial? And he's like, well, you know, the gig only pays about $60,000 a year. But um, th th there's this organization that whenever I give a speech, pays, mm -hmm. pays me $75,000. And, and, and that's if I talk to a high school class. They, they write me a check for seventy five grand. And so right. I'm making, he, he told me that he was making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And, and you know, I mean, that's how they do it. And Nikki Haley makes 200K a day. A day? Oh, for giving speeches? Oh, I'm sorry, a speech. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it could be if you give a speech a day. I mean, you know, the Heritage Foundation, this is uh, Ken Vogel wrote about this in Politico back in 2014, as I recall, that the Heritage Foundation was giving Rush Limbaugh $2 million a year and was giving Sean Hannity a $1 million a year. And uh, I mean, it's just, uh, there, there's all kinds of ways that they shovel money into this. And there's, there's literally, you know, uh, nobody out there, <laughs> it's, not, it's not like there's billionaires, you know, trying to shovel money into, into progressive talk radio. I wouldn't that there were. One crazy thing is Karen Pence, his wife, makes money speaking. I don't know what the heck she would say. She's big in the church circuit, I think. Is, is oh, you're doing right. That. Yeah, so if, she's, right. if she speaks to a small church, uh, or even a large one, uh, there's, there's a right-wing group out there that'll write a check to her. It's just, it's just their way of, of passing money along. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Carrie in New Windsor, New York. Hey, Carrie, what's up? So this morning I saw a video of this woman in Afghanistan with the Taliban at her door, and she, the fear was unbelievable. Anybody who saw Democracy Now! today saw it, and they're uh, putting a call out for assistance from international media because, um, you know, they find that the Taliban doesn't pull their using women to assert their dominance during this war stuff. I don't understand at all, but... Um, they're definitely using women, and they don't do it as much when there's media uh, eyes on them. So um, that's my comment. And then my question is, um, speaking of covering women's issues, Black History Month, Women's History Month, any way you could mention Women's History Month as much as you mentioned Black History Month coming up? I Sure. Is it this month, Carrie? Uh, well, Black History Month kind of started on the 17th already. Okay. <laughs> it kind of goes, but they have the shortest month of the year. So that kinda... that, that's, that's how I remember the February is Black History Month. But I, I, I confess, I generally don't pay attention to the History Month things because they, they, well, they've become like greeting cover. card holidays, you know. No, yeah, I think that we're we're grabbing at anything that we can get, and so as yep. women, and so the fact that it's mentioned like exponentially yet less, you know, I Afghanistan mean, is I a real noticed. crisis, though. I mean, you you raised a really important point, Carrie. If I if I if I may interrupt, um, and and that is that we're in a real bind here. We we have frozen billions of dollars that the Afghan government has. And that money could be feeding people in Afghanistan, but we would have to be basically unfreezing it to give to the Taliban. And whether the Taliban is going to feed, feed people or whether they're just, you know, there's no, no expectation that they're going to do the right thing. And yet you've got something like 20 million people who are facing famine. And, yeah. uh, it, uh, you know, I saw uh, yesterday or the, you know, a couple of days ago, Mehdi Hassan uh, pinned down, I think it was Ron Klain on this and said, you know, uh, as I recall, said, uh, you've got people who are going to starve. Are you going to release these funds or not? And and basically the answer he got was, I'll get back to you on that. So as far as like um, the, the women, the people who get it the most, um, the suppression and stuff, women and children these days, because, you know, brown skin people have made a lot of strides. Um, we still have a ways to go. Um, you know that when they say systemic ra racism, and uh, in the languages all across the world, they have feminine and masculine. I mean, like you have systemic, I guess you could say misogyny that started out way back when they viewed women as unequal or systemic inequality mm -hmm. going on, even embedded in languages oh, all yeah, across the world. Absolutely. Right. Uh, if anybody who's ever learned a romance language, anything that came out of Latin knows that, you know, real well in yeah. Spanish and French. Yeah. Yep. Like nouns are either L or la, like a chair. Mm -hmm. I, don't know, I don't know the Spanish word for chair, but I wonder if a chair is considered feminine or masculine. Yeah, that was when we <laughs> learned German, when we moved to Germany. I had to, you know, uh, a window, das Fenster. It's, uh, they do it by changing the article, the word the. Das is neutral, der is masculine, D is feminine. 
and so you precede the noun with uh, with the article, and the article contains the gender, and it's uh, you know, dare pencil. Pencils are masculine. D cave, I believe. I forget the word for cave now, but it was feminine. I, I remember thinking those things because it's so obvious. You know, it's it's, it's so Freudian. But it, yeah, it's uh, misogyny. Not even misogyny. Just this idea of a hierarchical system with men at the top is just in. It deeply, deeply embedded in our cultures. You're, you're absolutely right. Well, at least men don't menstruate. But yeah. Um, yeah, there you go. There you go. Okay, Carrie, thank, on that on that high note, <laughs> I'll, I'll move along. Thank you very much for the call. Douglas in Dewey, Arizona. Hey, Douglas, what's up? Pete in Indian Wells, California. Hey, Pete, what's on your mind today? Well, hi, Tom. I just wanted to talk to you a little bit. Um, you've been mentioning recently about democracy, Greek democracy, Roman democracy, and I just wanted to point out that there was another democratic uh, group, and that were the Iroquois Indians. And part of our, our democracy was founded on some of their policies as well. And they had an unknown democracy. It was, it was you know, the length of their democracy was maybe hundreds, thousands of years. We don't even really know. I just wanted to bring that up to you. Yeah, and it wasn't just the Iroquois, by the way. I, I'm reading this book, The Dawn of Everything, which you know just does this extraordinary deep dive into uh, uh, what we would refer to as prehistory. And uh, democracies were just popping up all over the world among Aboriginal and Indigenous society, or what we would refer to as Indigenous societies. And some of them were very sophisticated. Um, but, uh, and the Iroquois Confederacy was one of those. Uh, but there were several other Native American uh, communities in the United States uh, or in North America that were, uh, you know, very sophisticated. Um, uh, Pete, thanks a lot for, for pointing that out. George in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Hey, George, thanks for watching us on Free Speech. What's up? Hi, Tom. If I could just really quickly touch on your doctor you just had on. If I'm not mistaken, when Trump had his Arizona rally on Saturday, I could have sworn I heard him say, we lost. Uh, one one other thing, the uh, uh, that kid in Texas, at eighteen year old, it's not influenza defense. It's in I can't remember influenza. Influenza. Yeah. So I I think you might be looking at who knows something like that. Well, that was but, a mens rea defense as well. That was a state of mind defense, and that's what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. They were okay. saying that that kid that kid had no moral compass because he was raised with so much wealth and was never disciplined and never had to do anything for himself and therefore he can't be held accountable for his own actions. So that, you know, in other words, his state of mind was not uh, malicious. His state of mind was merely the predictable product of the way he was raised. Yeah, you're, you're, you're exactly right. But uh, I'm calling about, uh, it's my impression that Democrats are going to bring up uh, the electoral college vote first because of the possibility of bipartisanship. They would get on it. Uh, what yeah. a waste of time. Are yeah. Republicans afraid of Kamala Harris won't count the vote fairly? No, and no, this is this is a face saving effort. I mean, it's 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 something that needs to be done, but it's it's going to get a hell of a lot more publicity than it deserves because it is a face saving effort on the part of both Republicans and Democrats to be able to say, well, we did something about voter problems. Well, yeah, they, they, they well, election they, integrity. They, they, it's such a waste of time because it won't even matter if you don't take care of the other voting suppression and purges before and putting putting people in place who say, well, we'll we'll count the, the votes the way we want. 
Yeah, no. Well, this is this is what they've done. They've 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 said it that this can this can be done this way, and and I you know I, I, you know they can they can just throw out elections if they don't want them. Yeah, it's what Trump said. It's what you know Joe Stalin. It doesn't matter who votes; it matters who counts the votes. in San Pedro, California, says you disagree with me. About what, Alex? What's up? Good morning, Tom. Um, about the vaccine um, and how you feel about it, and I understand what you do. I pretty much got my uh, medical advice to um, the military in, 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 in regards to um, chemical, biological, and radio radiological warfare, and then basic science in high school. So after the closures and, and, and all the things we went through the, and, um, the first time around with COVID-19, I basically decided to shut down, never go outside, and come out only when it's time to go to groceries and or, or to go for a walk to be healthy and to brisk walk and those things, and to wear a mask wherever I go and to just come back home and isolate as though the country shuts down. I'm not promoting the shutdown or that kind of a thing, but then again, we're dying. And um, I'll, it's been this long, sir, and, and I'm still alive and I'm still vaccine-free and I'm still um, not sick. It's a terrible way to live. It's a sacrifice, but... I think that my my um, actions and my results um, must account for something. And what it seems like to, to me is that we're vaccinating this this thing to death, but yet the results we're getting are not there. Well, the results are quite clearly there, Alex. The vast majority of the people who are in hospitals right now with COVID are people who are not vaccinated. If you want to continue down that path, good luck. I mean, it, it, probably a little safer now than before with Delta round with Omicron. But it will still kick your ass. And, you know, good luck. Thanks a lot for the call. Jules in Whittier, California. Hey, Jules, what's on your mind? I recall uh, a documentary called The World at War. I don't know if you're familiar. It's a multi-episode uh, documentary. Yeah, yeah. Decades ago. And there's one, quote, there's one quote that comes from that that I recall, which is Olivier narrated it, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, uh, he talked about Stalin's handling of his own countrymen and the genocide, 40, 50 million, I don't know. And uh, he said that um, these uh, these people that were under his, uh, you know, uh, government or under his country, uh, were their lives were of no account. This is what Olivier said. His, their lives were of no account. You know, and that stuck with me. The other point I wanted to make is uh, in World War II, some movie I saw, he said, you know, the whole thing was based on a lie, the Nazi uh, movement. So this is what Trump is doing to us. He's basing his whole uh, government on a lie. Yeah, you you're see absolutely what I mean? right. Yeah, and for the Nazis, and, the lie was the stab in the back, that there were that there were people, you know, who, who basically uh, gave in to the Treaty of Versailles after World War I. listening to the Tom Hartman program. It's amazing the power of lies and how destructive they can be. That was a great point, Jules. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. By the way, TMZ is reporting, you probably heard all over the media that uh, Meatloaf died. He was 74 years old. He left a wife and two daughters. 
you know, one of the great rock singers from the 70s in particular, Bad Out of Hell, I remember it well. But uh, apparently he was an anti-vaxxer and, you know, we, although TMZ is saying that they don't know his vaccine status, but that recently he was uh, railing with folks in Australia about vaccine mandates and they are saying that he died of COVID. So uh, I'm not seeing that in the rest of the media, but if TMZ says it, you know, generally you can take it to the bank. Uh, we'll see. Paul in Ambler, Pennsylvania. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Last time I called, I called to talk about the Social Security Trust Fund and its surplus. And uh, I think as you and many of your, your listeners know, due to Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan, they shored up the system so it would extend uh, far out into the future. Uh, what I wanted to point out today, aside from good news, is uh, the, the amount of money that's there and why we should continue to fight for it, even if we can't get some you know, big legislation through that would help uh, shore up the, the, uh, uh, the fund overall, it's still very strong. Uh, the numbers are in for the year. As of December 2021, $2,852,000,000,000 in surplus. Now, you can go to the Social Security website online and look up trust fund data. They publish it every month. And why I feel it's important to repeat this and let people have an update, it's not just a little bit of good news. This is our money that's payable on demand starting at the age of 62. It's a demand account that we deposit money into, and we can demand to have it paid to us as early as the age of 62, and I believe up to 70. And one of the reasons And, and Paul, why, if I may, very quickly ahead, uh, sure. insert here for anybody else listening, is that so that Social Security money is also available to you if you are catastrophically injured for the rest of your life, regardless of your age. You can be, you know, 18 years old and, and end up paralyzed, you know, in a car accident That's or correct. something. And, and Social Security is there for, for the rest of your life. It is the most... It's, you can't buy that kind of disability insurance. It's a disability plan as well as a retirement plan. It is a social insurance plan par excellence, which is why we need to fight to maintain it, even as it is. And here's why. This year, the pool of money that it can draw from has increased to $147,000 per year for income. Every year it goes up, and it's now hit the territory of six figures where when it goes up just a few percent, it's thousands upon thousands of dollars that it can draw upon. Uh, by the time Biden finishes his first term, that number is going to be in excess of $160,000. That's most of the wages of most of the people in the United States. You're talking about the cap. Into it. Yeah, although the cap, the cap is inflation right. adjusted. So as the cap goes, uh, as, as wages go up, the cap goes up. So you're not going to capture that many more people because... Well, well, you're you're certainly doing better. It's designed to be all real dollars, right? But the other thing that's important to note is this December number was higher than November and was higher than uh, October. And one of the reasons why I believe is the largest employers in the country—Walmart, Amazon, Target, uh, and even. 
people that aren't quite that big, but are still mega employers at Hobby Lobby, you're paying people $16, $18 an hour, where four or five years ago, these people might have been making 8 or $9 an hour. Right. The wages have gone up, and I think people need to understand that the more we put pressure on getting wages up on the lower end, there's many more people uh, who are below the median income. Yeah. It pours into Social Security yeah. in ways Absolutely. that are just tremendous. Absolutely. We Paul, should fight for that and maintain it. I'm with you. Paul, thank you for the report. And I would say, you know, let's let's blow the cap off altogether. But all, all of the points that you made are, are brilliant. Thank you so much. Dick in Cottage Grove, Wisconsin. Hey, Dick, what's up? Several years ago, maybe three to five years ago, you had on a guest who had apparently just released a paper or a book called something like human capital. And I found the entire discussion very intriguing. And I wonder if you have kept up with that, if you uh, still have the interest or, or the... The I, I don't remember. Is he the, still around? I remember the phrase. I don't remember the premise, Dick. You want to refresh my memory? I I wish I could. I was doing some some research, trying to find human capital, and all I could find was HR related stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I have not been able to track down what it was that uh, who it was that was doing that. But I was just hoping that that you would remind me and maybe bring him back. My mind is not always a steel trap. <laughs> it's, I, you know, I, I like I said, I remember the phrase. It's it's catchy. I like it. Uh, you know, it's it's also something that has been used. Used in other contexts over the years, um, but that particular and I remember having a guest on uh, something to that effect some many years ago. But I'm I'm sorry, I just don't remember the details. Uh, Dick, good okay. try. If you come across it, give me a shout back. Gary in Alpharetta, Georgia. Hey, Gary, what's up? Hello, Tom Harmon. Thank you. Hey, Gary. Greed has no heart. Ever, ever. Yep. And that's at the core. And the th three points I like to try to make quickly, if I can. Number one. And I talked about this before. I think we here's the reality, as I view it as a 76 year old uh, person. We've had a sea change in our culture. What do I mean by a sea change in our culture? That greed, ego, and trying to be famous, like you suggested, cinema and mansion, it's a try to be famous thing, maybe. Yeah. I don't know about mansion, maybe not with mansion, but definitely with cinema. And it's and it's permanent. It, it it's got into our culture. Uh, it's, is it in a hundred percent? No. Is anything hundred percent? No. But it's too much in our culture. And secondly, and secondly, the question I have that really bothers me, and I brought this question, is how long can we keep blaming the politicians? We need to emphasize, and there are a lot of good people. There are a lot of groups fighting all this nonsense. We need to look ourselves in the mirror and says and, and recognize in reality we will determine the future fate of our country, yeah. not the politicians. No, I, I I get it, Gary, and 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 uh, you know we ask as a, a kind of a sign of respect to all the people who are on hold uh, that we keep things to one point. But your points are well taken, and and I I can't disagree with either one of them. And even and, you Theodore know. Roosevelt recognized greed. Yes, he did. He absolutely he did. did. And I know, and, and I didn't mean to interrupt it, but and he, he said because of short-sighted, I'm paraphrasing, short-sighted selfishness and greed of men. Theodore yeah. Roosevelt, a Republican. Yep, yep. 
back. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Gary, thank you. Thank you very much. Larry in Los Angeles. Hey, Larry, what's on your mind today? Hey, um, I've said this before, but um, I don't believe a word that Donald Trump believes that somehow he, he won that election. That's gaslighting what he's doing. I agree. And all con artists, all con artists do this because there's, there's a payback out of it. Um, when, when Donald Trump is running around telling this lie, he, the thing that he wants more than anything else is he wants you to believe that he is sincere. Right. And if he can get you to believe that he's sincere, then he's looking at you as if you're nothing but a sucker. He's gotten you. He, now, yeah. now, that, now that you believe that he's sincere, when his grievances are being aired, you will take them seriously. And, 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 and uh, oh, you poor baby. And, uh, and so now he's got all these Republicans all over the country doing his dirt because some of them actually believe what he's saying, but most of them know he's lying also. This is all a part of this. This is, a, this is one of these major con artists, a, a major scam. And here's how I know that Donald Trump knows he did not win that election. Um, the Postal Service scam. If he thought he was going to win, why would he do that? Why does Donald Trump require loyalty? I don't require loyalty from any of my friends. But why does Donald Trump require loyalty? That's so that when he tells a lie, you won't show him up. Yeah. He knows he's lying, and he needs you to not show him up so that he can get others to believe that lie. Yeah. I think you put your finger on it. And fame has become, to Gary's point earlier, fame has become essentially a commodity in America. Trump has been using that very effectively, and then he and then he, he lies. My question is, does he believe his own lies? And I, I, you know, I think no. I'm inclined to agree with you, Larry. I think he knows that he's a con. He's just a very convincing liar. He's been doing this his whole entire life. Larry, thank you for the call. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Democracy really, I mean, the whole idea of democracy is the demos. It's us, right? The people. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.